أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم Then Allah says فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ So it is because of the mercy from Allah that you, O Prophet wasallam, were lenient towards them. Allah reminds the Prophet wasallam and the believers of His great favor, of His great mercy upon them. How? That out of Allah's mercy, the Prophet wasallam was lenient towards the companions. فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ لِنْتَ is from the root letters لَامْ يَا نُونَ from the word lean, which is to be soft, to be flexible, when something is easy to mold. When something is easy to mold. When something is easy to deal with. So for example, if there is Play-Doh, okay, that's fresh out of a container, brand new, how soft is it going to be? Very soft. But if you've left it out for a long period of time, then how is it going to be? Hard. Dry. It's not going to be easy to mold it. It's not easy to deal with it. So lean is softness, tenderness, when something is easy to deal with. And it's basically ease and gentleness in dealing with someone. And it's the opposite of harshness. When you're dealing with someone, How do you deal with them? Through your words and through your actions, your behavior. So lean is gentleness in words with which a person addresses another and gentleness in behavior, okay? In the way that a person interacts with the other, deals with them, okay? So this is what lean is. So Allah says that out of Allah's mercy, you, O Prophet ﷺ, are lenient with the companions, So when you say something to them, you say words that are gentle. When you sit amongst them, you make them feel comfortable. When you deal with them, when you tell them to do something, you are lenient and gentle. In all of your circumstances, in all of your affairs with them, you are gentle. And the Prophet ﷺ was one of the most easiest people to deal with. He was someone who was very gentle in nature and who had a very gentle mannerism character. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself testifies to the good character, to the noble character of the Prophet ﷺ, where Allah praises him in the Qur'an, in Surah Al-Qalam, ayah number 4, Allah says, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And indeed you are surely of a great moral character. You have the best moral character, the best one. And part of that was his gentleness. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this verse in the context of the battle of Uhud. At the battle of Uhud, what happened? The Prophet ﷺ gave such clear instructions, especially to the people who were appointed on the small hillock. And they were told very clearly, do not move even if you see us killed, unless I send for you. But still, what happened? Those companions disobeyed. When the mushrikeen attacked again, The sahaba were running away and the Prophet ﷺ took a big risk and he said, Ilayya ibadullah, Ilayya ibadullah. But did those companions look back? No. They just kept running away. They just kept climbing on the mountain. They didn't even look back at the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ got wounded, injured. So much so that he didn't have the energy, the strength to climb the mountain himself. He was so badly wounded. The bleeding would not stop. His daughter had to burn a straw mat and those ashes she had to put on the wounds of the Prophet ﷺ to stop the bleeding. Imagine. 
He was thirsty, he was tired, he was exhausted. Because imagine, the mushrikeen were all attacking him, one after the other, they were coming. How exhausted he must have been. Out of breath. Ali radiallahu anhu, he got some water for the Prophet ﷺ, but water that he could find, the source from which he brought it, it smelled really bad. The Prophet ﷺ could not even drink it. But still, did he reprimand them? Did he say to them, you're fired. Don't ever speak to me. Don't ever come near me. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to abandon you. That's it. I've had enough of you. You disobeyed me. You did not listen to me. So many companions died. But still, the Prophet ﷺ dealt with them very leniently, very gently. And Allah says, it is out of Allah's mercy that you were gentle with them. When is a person gentle with others? When he can tolerate their mistakes. When you can tolerate someone's mistake, only then you can be gentle with them. And if you cannot tolerate, then the slightest disobedience or the slightest mistake will bother you, will irritate you so much that you can start yelling at the top of your voice. Isn't that so? Like for example, a child. If you love them, and you can tolerate their mistakes, then even if they make a big mess, you'll still have a smile on your face. But if you don't have that tolerance, then you know what? You will yell at the child, you will scream at him, on every little thing. Not that it's going to make any difference, but that's what you will do. So when can you be gentle with someone? When you can tolerate their mistakes, and when you can forgive them. And when a person is able to show such gentleness to others, then this is Allah's mercy upon him. And Allah's mercy upon those with whom that individual is dealing with. Because Allah says, فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ On you and on the Sahaba. Because if someone is not lenient with us, then definitely Allah's mercy is not there. If we are not lenient with others, then we are deprived of Allah's mercy. And notice, it is min Allah, it is from Allah. And what is from Allah is very great indeed. So it is out of Allah's great mercy on you that you were lenient with them. You were lenient with them. And them primarily refers to the companions, but not just the companions. It applies to all the people who believe in the Prophet ﷺ. So the entire Muslim ummah. Because when the Prophet ﷺ commanded the companion something, then it wasn't just for them, it's also for us. And his leniency towards the companions is very evident. And his leniency towards us is also very evident. Towards them, the example that I gave you, at Uhud, he did not reprimand them, he did not fire them, he did not punish them. No, he was gentle and lenient, he was forgiving and compassionate. He knew that if he had suffered, the Sahaba also had suffered. So he understood their situation as well. And for the rest of the ummah, that is also very evident. That, for example, when the Prophet ﷺ, he had a choice between two things, what would he choose? The more easier one. Why? Because it would be easy for the rest of the ummah as well. So for example, he loved to do miswak himself. And he wanted to make it compulsory for every salah. But he did not. Out of what? Leniency with us. Because imagine if it was compulsory. Imagine if he made compulsory, how difficult it would have been. The Prophet ﷺ had a habit of praying at night. He let the companions in the nights of Ramadan for a few nights. 
And he loved that. The companions also loved that. Imagine hearing the Qur'an from the Prophet ﷺ in Taraweeh Salah. But the Prophet ﷺ did not continue this. Why? Because if he did, then Salat al-Taraweeh would be obligatory. Then what would you do? Or what would you do if you had your exams in the month of Ramadan? You would be sinning if you left Taraweeh. What would you do if the fasts were very long and the night was short and all you could pray was just for a few minutes, a few units of prayer? Then what would you do? You would be sinning. Just imagine. What would you do if you had little babies? You would be sinning, basically, if you left out on Taraweeh. So it is... The Prophet ﷺ leniency, his gentleness towards not just the companions, but towards the entire ummah. He is indeed a mercy for who? Lil'alameen. Allah says, وَلَوْ كُنْتَ And if you were fallan, rude, ill-mannered, غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ Harsh-hearted, لَن فَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ They would have dispersed from around you. If you were fadh, fadh is from fa, za, za, and this is rudeness, impoliteness in speech, in character. When someone is arrogant and harsh towards people, he does not soften towards them, he's very rude and impolite and coarse in dealing with them. So for example, if he's angry with someone because the mistake they have made, He does not forgive them, does not overlook them, and moreover yells at them, doesn't just yell at them, but insults them, humiliates them, not just you know alone, but in public, ruins their reputation in front of others. This is what? Fal, rude, ill-mannered, ill-mannered. Someone who does not have any humility. When he's upset, he humiliates others. This is who fal is. And غليظ القلب, Someone who is hard-hearted, غليظة from the root letters غين لام ظا and غلظة is to be thick. When something is hard and severe, rigid, stern. And غليظة القلب, remember that غلظة, this harshness is in the heart. Which is why Allah says غليظة القلب, harsh-hearted. And what is that? When a person is قاسي القلب, when he has a hard heart, fierce of the heart. What does it mean by this? When a person is fierce of the heart, when a person is hard-hearted, that when he is unaffected by anything, a person may be crying in front of them. A person may be struggling in front of them. You know, striving so hard, taking so many pains to do something. But still, their attitude towards them is, this is not good enough. This is what? غليظ القلب When a person is unaffected by anything, His heart does not soften for the other. He does not have any mercy. And this is particularly when a person is of a higher degree, meaning he has a leadership position. Okay, He is above the others. When a person has subordinates, when a person is of a higher degree compared to others, in any position of authority you can say, whether it is that of a boss or even as a parent, as You know, the finance manager of a house, of a family, someone who brings in money to the house, it could be the son, for example. They manage all the finances of the house, even of their parents. So they have a position of authority in a way above their parents. Okay. Likewise, at a workplace, as a teacher, 
when you are dealing with people who are under you, then what happens? People make mistakes. Isn't it so? People fall short in what they're required to do. And there could be various reasons behind that. One is that you know they're being lazy. So for example, a student has to do their lesson, they just don't do it. What's the reason? Didn't feel like it. Okay? They're genuinely wrong. The other is that someone is not able to do their work because they're not able to. They don't have that capacity. Their circumstances do not allow. Two things. They don't have the capacity or their circumstances did not allow them. So for example, a person got extremely sick. Okay? Or they have little children. They have too much work to do. And on top of that, if there are five assignments to submit at one time, it would be indeed very hard for them. Okay? Likewise, a person does not have the capacity. They don't understand. They're too young. They don't know the language. They don't understand the concepts. For example. So then, is it fair to deal with everyone in the same way? Is it? No. It's not fair to deal with everyone in the same way. And if a person deals with all the people in the same way, then this is in a way harsh-heartedness. Because we are expecting someone to do something that they are not able to do. We are ignoring their circumstances. We are ignoring their capacity. Okay, We are ignoring their weakness. We are ignoring the struggle that they have to go through. And this is unfair. It is necessary that we deal with the people the way they deserve to be dealt. أَنزِلُ nasa manazilahum. Put people at their positions, meaning deal with them the way they deserve to be dealt with. So for example, an older person is dealt with differently compared to a younger person. If a child takes a glass and throws it on the floor, and as a result that glass breaks, is it the same as your teenager taking the glass and smashing it on the floor? Is it the same? No. But if you yell at the two-year-old kid the way you yell at the teenager, is that fair? Is that fair? It's not fair. So غليظ al-qalb, harsh-heartedness, is to ignore the situation of the people, the reason why they have done something, disregard everything. Just look at what they have done and deal with them the way you would deal with someone else. This is harsh-heartedness. When a person does not have any mercy, any compassion for another. Saying statements like, don't tell me how hard you work, tell me what you've got. I don't care about how long you were studying, tell me, did you complete your work or not. This is not correct. This is not mercy. This is something that does not befit a good leader. غليظ al-qalb should not be the way of a believer. And many times it happens that we expect people to perform in the same way, meaning everyone to perform at the same level. And we think that if someone can do it, others can do it too. But it's not possible. Like for example, if someone has three children, then they know that every single one of them is different. They have different set of skills, different weaknesses compared to the other. So you cannot expect that all three should be doing the same thing in the same way. It's not fair. And if the same is expected, they will fail. And it is unfair. 
And the worst is when we expect children to behave like adults, to be like adults. When we expect that a two-year-old child should display manners of an, a ten-year-old child, should display etiquette of an eight-year-old kid, it's not fair. That child doesn't know. He doesn't know any better. So what needs to be done is lower your expectations. Lower your expectations. If someone makes a mistake, falls short in their duty, in what they're supposed to do, forgive, let them go. It's okay. It's not a big deal. And if a person does not care, then it's a sign of harsh-heartedness. You know, once the Prophet ﷺ, he was kissing his grandsons, and Aqrab and Habis, when he saw the Prophet ﷺ kissing his grandsons, he said, you kiss your children? Like, you kiss your kids? And the Prophet ﷺ said, Naam. Like, of course, why not? And Aqra said that, I have ten kids, and I've never kissed even one of them. And the Prophet ﷺ said, if Allah has taken mercy away from your heart, and the word naza'a has been used, that if Allah has pulled it away from your heart, then what can I do about it? What can I do about it? I mean, I can't help you. But we think that being harsh-hearted is a means of strength. No, it's not a means of strength. Being gentle is something that makes you stronger. Being loving and caring and affectionate, understanding, listening to the others, helping them, not just ordering and commanding them, but helping them. And this can only happen when you are really sincere to someone, when you want the best for them. Like for example, if a two-year-old kid throws something on the floor and you slap him or you yell at him, are you teaching him? No. He is going to be terrified, but he's not going to learn the lesson. He's not going to learn the lesson. Really, he won't. Which is why it happens that when you tell children, like little kids even, no, 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 then you know what they will do? They will do what they want to. And at the same time, they will say themselves, no, no, no. They don't know what no means. They have no idea. So always understand the situation, the circumstances, the capacity of every unique individual when dealing with them. Whether they are your spouse, your co-worker, your sibling, your parent, whoever they are, understand why they have done what they have done. And then only we can be lenient. Only then we can be forgiven. Only then we can be tolerant. So Allah says, وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضْلًا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ So fadl is who? Someone who is harsh in his words. And غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ is who? Someone who does not care about the difficulty of the other, does not have any mercy for them. Allah says, if you were like this, لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ The Sahaba would have dispersed from you. They would not have stayed with you. They would not have tolerated with you. They would have left you. If someone disobeys us, we tell our kids, go wash your hands, sit at the table, and they don't do it. We say, go wash your hands, sit at the table. Aren't you listening? You're a bad boy. You never listen to me. If you don't listen to me, I'm going to break this game of yours. I'm going to throw your toy out. You know, we threaten and... The kid doesn't know what's wrong with my mom. What's wrong with my dad? What's wrong with this person who's babysitting me? What's wrong with them? The kid has no idea. If we become harsh like this, then what's going to happen? لَن min حَوْلِكَ They will run away from us. They will not run to us. They will run away from us. 
Lanfaddu is from fa bad bad, from the word fiddah. Fiddah is silver. What happens to silver? Eventually breaks away and it goes away. Right? Because you have to give zakat on it, you end up spending it, right? Or you end up making jewelry and a piece of it breaks and it goes away. So, infidad is when something breaks away and scatters. Breaks away and scatters. Like for example, if you have a string of pearls, okay? Then they're together. But once the thread is broken, what will happen? What will happen? They will break off from one another, they will not be together anymore, and they will scatter. Even if you try to keep them in one place, what will happen? You will lose one, another child came and took one, another child came and ate one, right? So it will happen. This is what infidad is. Infidad is basically when gradually one after the other something disperses, like a group disperses. So for instance, all of you are here, infidad would be when, let's say 10 people go. And then five people go from here. And then ten people leave from here. So gradually, gradually, gradually everyone goes until no one's left. Like for example, once the Prophet ﷺ was giving the khutbah, Jumu'ah khutbah. And a trade caravan came into Medina at the same time. And when they came, they came with their bells and their announcements. And the Sahaba, they were like, you know, we better go and buy the food and whatever. Because if we go after the salah, then we might miss out. Everything might be gone by then. So one left, and another left, and then another left, and then another left, until only a few individuals were left. So the same word is used over there too, and the Muslims were prohibited thereafter that don't do this again. So anyway, لَنْفَضُّ min hawlik. And notice the word min hawlik. What does hawl mean? Around. Allah did not say, لَنْفَضُّ minka. They would have distanced themselves and gone away from you. No, they would have distanced themselves and gone away from around you. When you don't like someone, you don't want to be near them even. You don't want to be in the same space even. You avoid them and you avoid where they are. Is that so? Am I right in what I'm saying or am I wrong? If there's someone you don't like, and you see them at somebody's house at a party, and you see that they're sitting in the living room, will you go to the living room and sit there? No. Where will you go? In the kitchen. Or you'll go sit with the kids in the basement. Or you will go out in the backyard. No matter how uncomfortable you are. Or you will make an excuse and leave. Or you will go hide in the washroom, which many girls do. They're just there fixing their makeup and fixing their hair constantly. I don't know why they came to the party. Did you come to fix your hair, do your makeup, or did you come to actually sit with other people, eat and enjoy? So anyway, لَنْفَضُّ مِنْ حَوْلِكَ They would not tolerate you at all. Because rudeness and harshness is something that people do not tolerate. If someone is treated with rudely, if someone is treated with in a very harsh manner, if someone is insulted, then they don't put up with that. People don't put up with that. And we see that even children run away from people who rebuke them. Even if that person may be their mother or their father, or their grandmother, or their grandfather, or their aunt, or their older brother, little kids even are averse to those who yell at them. Isn't that so? So, لَنْفَضُّ min hawlik. People feel comfortable where they feel welcomed. They relax where they feel safe. And if a person feels that 
there is a threat to their dignity, then they begin to avoid that place, they begin to avoid that individual. Then it doesn't matter how important it is for them to be there, how beneficial it is for them to be there, they don't care. They'll avoid. It doesn't matter how hungry you are, you will not go and sit at the table where someone who insults you is sitting. Right? Someone who yelled at you, if they are somewhere, it doesn't matter how desperately you need to be there, you will not go there. You will not go near that individual because you don't want to be hurt. لَنْفَضُّوا مِنْ حَوْلِكَ They would distance themselves from you. They would not want to be around you. So the Prophet ﷺ, his gentleness, Allah appreciates that. Allah praises that. That out of Allah's mercy, you were gentle. At another occasion. You had the right to yell at them, to be upset. But still, you were gentle. And if you were not, the people would not have tolerated you. Now imagine, this is the Sahaba, people like the companions, not putting up with rudeness and harshness that comes from who? A prophet of Allah. Allah says that if you, O prophet, were harsh, these companions would not have stayed with you. And you know what? They would be justified in that. So you think that ordinary people would tolerate harshness and rudeness from us? If the Sahaba would not tolerate a rude prophet, then how can we ever imagine that a husband can tolerate a rude wife? That a child can tolerate a rude mother? Because unfortunately I've seen that mothers, when they become upset with their children, they yell and they curse and they insult and they rebuke and they humiliate. And this is done in public. This is done in front of others. This is done even when there's no need. And there is no need to humiliate and insult someone like that. It is incorrect to yell at a child, to reprimand them, to point to someone's mistake in a way that they will be humiliated. We should be very careful. Very, very careful. Inshallah, we'll go into the details later. This does not mean that if someone makes a mistake, then you never point that out. You never correct them because you're being lenient. So you don't do your lesson and I say, oh, you know, we'll be very lenient with you. Don't do your lesson. It's okay. No. That's not what it means. Leniency is in manner, not in principle. Okay? Leniency is in the manner of how you deal with someone, not in principle. Like for example, the companions, if they made a mistake, yes, it was a mistake. It was wrong. Allah reprimanded them. Their mistake was pointed out. But, the way they were reprimanded, the way they were corrected, the way their mistake was pointed out was gentle and lenient. So this is something that we need to understand and we need to beg Allah for His mercy that may Allah make us gentle in the way that we deal with others. So Allah says, anhum, Forgive them. O Prophet ﷺ, forgive them. Keep and maintain this good relation with the Sahaba. Forgive them at this great mistake of theirs. Look at the overall picture. They are obedient. They are righteous. They are good people. They are sincere people. So let their mistake go at this time. Don't punish them. Because every human makes a mistake. Every human makes a mistake. We make mistakes. Our kids make mistakes. Our spouses make mistakes. Our parents even. Our in-laws. Because who are we? Human beings, people, and people make 
mistake. So when they have made a mistake, let it go. And we see that it wasn't just at the battle of Uhud that the Prophet ﷺ forgave them, but it was also at many other occasions that the Prophet ﷺ forgave the people who hurt him. You know, even the wives of the Prophet ﷺ, sometimes they would say things that were harsh. That were harsh. And that would really upset the Prophet ﷺ. So much so that once he decided not to go back home to any of them for 30 days, and he did not. So, I mean, they were women after all. Right? They were human beings too. But the Prophet ﷺ, what was his reaction? He forgave. Likewise, we know of so many occasions when someone said harsh words to the Prophet ﷺ, accused him of cheating, of injustice. But the Prophet ﷺ forgave. Far, far and home, forgive them. Because if we start picking out on every mistake, then you know what? We will never be happy. Never. And people will never be happy with us either. You have to pick your battles. You know, if your kid is tidying up and you put all the Duplo away but forgot to put the car away, one car, and we say, no, you did not tidy up, you're not getting your sticker then the child's going to be so disappointed, he's not going to want to tidy up ever again. Right? If the daughter-in-law is trying, she's cooking and the food didn't turn out perfectly, I mean, let it go for God's sake. Didn't you ever make a mistake in cooking? I mean, everyone does, right? So we are all human beings. We make mistakes. Far for unhum. And the thing is that the more you deal with people, the more problems you suffer at their hand. And far for anhum in particular is forgive them with regards to their falling short in your right, O Prophet ﷺ. Far for anhum with regards to their falling short in your right. They should have obeyed you, but they disobeyed you. They should not have left their spots, but they left. And as a result, you suffered physically, personally, emotionally. You lost your uncle. So many things happened. But still, O Prophet, forgive them. The more you go out, the more you work with people, the more you suffer abuse at their hands. And the Prophet ﷺ was told to forgive them. And this is the reason why he was successful as a leader. Also remember that the people with most sins are those who focus and list and number the sins and mistakes of others. If our focus is on the mistakes of other people. She's not doing this right. He's not doing this right. She's doing this, 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 this is wrong. Then you know what? We are more sinful. We are overlooking our mistakes, looking at others' mistakes. Allah says, anhum, Forgive them. And the more we point out other people's mistakes, the more deaf they become towards us. The more they begin to ignore us. The more they disregard what we are telling them. You know, it happens with many girls that if their grandmother is around and their grandmother tells them, well, make sure you wipe the counter and make sure you watch your head and make sure you put the spoons in the right place and make sure you do this and make sure... You know, they're telling you and you just shut your ears off and you do what you have to do. Because if someone keeps correcting you, keeps reprimanding you on every little thing, a point comes when you're like, you know what, I can't take this anymore. And you don't pay any heed to what they are saying. So again, pick your battles so that you are more effective. Far for whom? lahum. Forgive them yourself and also ask Allah to forgive them. Why? Because when they have done wrong, they have also fallen short in their duty to Allah. They have fallen short in their duty to you and also in their duty to Allah. So forgive them yourself and ask Allah to forgive them. 
And this will clean your heart. This will really clean your heart. You know, my sister, she has three boys, and you can imagine boys. Uh, it's kind of difficult to deal with boys sometimes. And one thing that I've noticed in her is that, mashallah, when her boys, you know, they really bother her, she tells them, go and pray nafal and ask Allah for forgiveness because you have really hurt your mom today. So the kids are not scared of the mother, they're scared of Allah. And this is a reality, that when we hurt someone, when we disobey them, when we fall short in our duty to them, then yes, we have done harm to the person. But we have also angered Allah. Because Allah is also going to ask us about our actions. So seek forgiveness for them, from Allah, that, oh Allah, forgive them. And when you will ask Allah to forgive them, then obviously you will be able to forgive them. Then your heart will be cleansed as well. Then there will be no grudges left in your heart. وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ And consult them concerning the matter. شَاوِرْهُمْ From the root letter, شِينْ وَعُرَى شَارَ يَشُورُ Is to collect honey from the hive. To collect honey from the hive. And شَوْر Is to look nice. Okay? شُورَى شِينْ وَعُرَى شُورَى Is consultation. When you're consulting someone, then it's as though you are taking honey from the hive. Something beneficial. When you don't consult, then you've got nothing. When you consult someone, when you ask them for their opinion, for their suggestion, what do you think I should do? What is your opinion concerning this matter? Then you are collecting honey. You are collecting something that's going to be beneficial, inshallah. So shura is something that is very beneficial. And shawr to look nice. When you consult someone, when something is done with consultation with others, then the final product is far better. Isn't that so? It is far better. Because many times it happens that when we are looking at something, just ourselves, we end up missing some details, some things. And if we had consulted someone, would have noticed that and we would have saved ourselves from that mistake. So, وَشَاوِرْهُمْ Seek their opinion, meaning the opinion of the companions, fil amr concerning the matter. Notice it is al-amr. And that means the important affairs. Not every affair. That the Prophet ﷺ was required to consult the companions on every little thing. No, he did not have to consult the companions on every little thing. Only those matters which were relevant to them. Okay? Which were relevant to them. And with regards to which there was some confusion. Meaning if Allah had given a command concerning something, then obviously you don't need to ask people. So for example, if Allah has commanded us, we have to pray. Do we need to ask someone? Do we need to discuss with someone? So you think I should pray five times a day? No. If Allah has commanded that we have to wear hijab, do we need to consult our mother? Mom, do you think I should wear the hijab? What do you think I should do? No, you don't need to consult anyone. Okay? When Allah has given a command, that's something that's done. But if it is a matter such as, do you think I should take this course? Do you think I should go here? Do you think I should do this as opposed to this? And especially when it is relevant to them. Like for example, you want to have a party at home. Or you want to go to, let's say, a weekend seminar, a conference or something. Then should you consult your parents before going there? Should you? Yes, why? Because the weekend is a time that you share with your family. Right? So if you are out for the entire weekend and your mother was expecting that you are going to be home, and you did not tell her, you did not consult with her, and she has some important errands to do, then that's not correct. 
Okay? But if it's something like when you should do your homework, what you should eat for lunch, what you should wear somewhere, then do you need to consult on every little thing? No, you don't have to. And really you shouldn't. Because save your time and save her time. Please. Because sometimes it happens that if you know people have to go somewhere as a family, then the mother is asking the daughter, should I wear this or should I wear this? And the daughter is asking, should I wear this or should I wear this? Should I wear these shoes or those shoes? This lipstick or that mascara? I mean, it's not the end of the day if you wear a different shade of pink on your lips. It's not the end of the day. It's not. You don't have to waste your time asking them and discussing with them. And we end up seeking shura of people with regards to the color of a shirt, the design of a shirt, the store from where you're going to buy it, the time when you're going to buy it. So much time is wasted on shura over petty things that we have no time left for important things. So, وَشَاوِرْهُمْ fil amr. Consult them with regards to the matter, meaning the important ones. And the Prophet ﷺ, he received revelation, yet he was told to consult the companions. Because وَأَمْرُهُمْ شُورَ بَيْنَهُمْ Their affair is with shura amongst themselves. Meaning when something concerns certain individuals, then they should be consulted. And if someone is not consulted, then they have the right to feel left out. Right? Do they have the right to feel left out? Then if they're upset, are they right in that? Yeah. Because they were not consulted. So, وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ And then, فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ Then when you have resolved, when you have made a decision, عَزَمْتَ from عَزْمْ عَيْنْ زَيْمِيمْ Which is to make a firm decision when someone is not shaky, doubtful, unsure, uncertain about something, rather they are sure that this is what we're going to do. They have made the decision. So when you've made the decision, then فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ Then trust on Allah. Put your trust in Him, not on the plan, not on the shura, the consultation that you did. No. Trust on Allah. So just because you decided something with shura, okay, don't expect because of that shura, everything will work out perfectly. No. Trust on Allah. Because after all, all power lies with who? With Him. Because sometimes you make a plan. You know, you discuss with your mother what class you should take, what course you should take. You discuss in great detail and then finally you make that decision that okay, you are going to go to med school, but then when you go, it doesn't work out. So should you be relying on the plan, on the shura, or should you be relying on Allah? Rely on Allah. Put your trust in Him. And also fatawakkal ala Allah means that once you've made up your mind, then just do it. Trust in Allah and do it. Don't remain in indecision. That until the moment you leave the house, then you're like, these shoes are those shoes, these shoes are those shoes. One foot in, one foot out. One foot in, one foot out. As you're in the car, this lipstick or that lipstick. Wipe it off and then change it. Wipe it off and then change it. Come on. When you've made a decision, then just do it. And trust on who? Allah. Because, إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ Indeed, Allah loves those people who... Trust on Him. This is the fruit of the wakul. This is the benefit of the wakul that Allah will love you. And when Allah will love you, then things will become easy for you. Let's listen to the recitation. فَبِمَا رَحْمَةٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ لِنْتَ لَهُمْ وَلَوْ كُنْتَ فَضًّا غَلِيظَ الْقَلْبِ لَنْفَضُّوا مِنْ حَوْلِكَ فَاعْفُ عَنْهُمْ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ وَشَاوِرْهُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ 
So what do we learn in this ayah? First of all, we see that gentleness is mercy from Allah. If a person is gentle, then they have received a great mercy from Allah. And if our heart is hard, our nature is harsh, then we need to beg Allah for His mercy. We need to beg Allah to soften our hearts because only Allah can soften hearts. If we feel that we're not affectionate, if we feel that someone is going through hardship and we don't feel any tenderness for them, we're not concerned about the difficulty they're enduring, then we need to beg Allah for His mercy. And another lesson we learned over here is that in any position of authority, leniency is always better. Gentleness is always necessary. The Prophet ﷺ was the best leader, the most exceptional leader, the greatest leader. He was the leader of the entire ummah, but we see that still he was lenient. Because sometimes we give excuses to ourselves. My son, you know, he's got some problem. It's too difficult to deal with him. My daughter, my kids, you know what, they're different. So I have to treat them in this way. I have to yell at them. My husband, until I humiliate him, he doesn't do, you know, the garbage. So I have to insult him. I have to yell at him. La ilaha illallah. I mean, you don't have to insult someone to get work out of them. In any position of authority, leniency is always better. It is needed. If the Prophet ﷺ dealt with the mushrikeen, dealt with the companions, dealt with Bedouins, one of whom who came and urinated in the mosque, then we can be gentle with someone who did not know that the glass was supposed to go in a different cupboard. Come on, we can be gentle. What's the big deal? It's only a glass. When we will be gentle, then we will receive gentleness. When we are loving, then we will receive love. When we are merciful, then we will receive mercy. Musa salam he went to Fir'aun. And what did Allah say to him? فَقُولَ لَهُ Say to him a gentle word. So no matter how difficult someone is to deal with, no matter how stressful we are, we need to remember that gentleness is still better. Gentleness is still better. Again, gentleness does not mean that you become lenient in principle. That you say that if a child has broken something, then it's okay. It's not okay. But in the manner that we deal with them. So we can tell them, get down at their level. See eye to eye. Come close. And say softly, we do not do this. Let's put the glass on the table, not on the floor. You know, gently. So that they can understand. And it's always better. In Surah Tawbah, Ayah 128, Allah says, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِمَا عَنِتْتُمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ The Prophet ﷺ was compassionate and merciful with the believers. And we need to be compassionate and merciful with the believers as well. Anas عنه, he said that I served the Prophet ﷺ for 10 years. And not even once did he ask me, why did you do this or why did you not do this? Not even once. He was a kid when he came to serve the Prophet ﷺ. And he stayed for 10 years serving him. And not even once the Prophet ﷺ reprimanded him. And if someone is supposed to be working for us, then how many times do we reprimand them? How many times do we get upset with them? Do we yell at them? 
then we see that of the greatest disadvantages of rudeness, of harshness is gaining the aversion of people. That people become averse. Then a person becomes alone. So rudeness, harshness leads to loneliness. Then a person doesn't have any friends. He doesn't. He's alone. Nobody wants to be around him. Nobody wants to sit with him. Nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody wants to consult with him. No, they don't want to be anywhere near. And remember, this is regardless of who you and I may be. If the Sahaba would not tolerate a rude prophet, then ordinary people cannot tolerate you and I either, if we are rude. Then we also learn in this ayah that a person should let go of his rights sometimes in dealings with his brothers and sisters. The Prophet ﷺ was told to forgive. That even though they have fallen short in your duty, still forgive. Because for the greater good, we have to let go of other people's mistakes. We have to. And if we start listing their mistakes and we'll be unhappy, they'll be unhappy, we'll get nowhere at all. Like for example, if right now I started pointing out at your mistakes, please fix this bench. And please don't sit like this. And please, you know, sit with the straight back. And please write. And please don't look at her. And please stop yawning. And please do this. Then would I be able to teach? No. So there are some things that you have to let go sometimes. Doesn't mean they're right. So if you're falling asleep in class, if you're not sitting properly, it doesn't mean it's right. But kind of have to let it go sometimes. And it comes with time. Just like a child. As they're growing up, they learn. I remember once the pediatrician, their wife, they advised me that don't ever yell at a child or correct a child with regards to things that they will learn naturally. Don't get worked up over that. So for example, if a child is not holding a spoon properly, don't start yelling at them. Just fix it with your hand. You know, if a child is you know, not able to put their pants on properly, then don't start yelling at them. They will learn over time. Do you ever see an 8-year-old eating like a 2-year-old? No. Do you ever see a 20-year-old dressing up like a 2-year-old? I mean, obviously, they're different, right? So there are things that you learn with age. So you have to let them go. Don't freak out about them. Then another lesson that we learn in this ayah is that falling short in the right of the Prophet ﷺ is actually a sin. Is a sin. Because Allah said, وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لَهُمْ Seek Allah's forgiveness for them. Why? Because they fell short in their duty to you. So falling short in the right of the Prophet ﷺ is what? A sin. And what are some of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ? That when his name is mentioned... Then saying salawat, right? Saying sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that's his right. Any other right that you can remember? If we don't even know what his rights are, then how can we fulfill them? Loving him, obeying him, following his sunnah. If he has commanded us something, doing that. If he has forbidden us from something, staying away from that. Then this ayah also teaches us about the importance and recommendation of shura, of consulting one another. But remember two things. That... Shura is to find out about what the other has to say. To seek their opinion. And once you find out about the opinion of others, you're not obligated to follow it, to accept it. So when the Prophet ﷺ was commanded to consult them, he wasn't obligated to accept their opinion. He had the choice to accept or reject. So likewise, if we consult someone, don't think that you have to listen. Or if someone consulted us, don't get offended if they don't take our suggestion. Consultation is basically bringing up the ideas, different points of view, different suggestions, different 
ways of doing the same thing. And secondly, that it is not necessary to do shura for every matter. In some cases, it is wajib. And in other cases, it is mustahab. In a situation where a matter directly affects someone, it is mandatory that we consult them. Alright? Like for example, if you want to take a class, then you have to consult with your husband. Okay? Because it directly affects him. It's not fair that he expects that on a Saturday morning he'll have a nice breakfast and you're not even there. It's not fair. It shouldn't be a surprise for him. No, you should consult before coming. And doesn't mean that every Saturday, every Sunday you consult. Once you consult, it's understood. But you know, a, res- a commitment has been made, then that's a different thing. Then, why do you think that the Prophet ﷺ was commanded to consult the companions? Why? Is there any benefit in this? Is there any benefit in consulting others? Yeah? What's the benefit? We get a different insight, a different view into that situation, into that matter. We might not be thinking of something, but they think of it. And as a result, you know, our mind opens up. That you have so many ideas then. One person can only think so much. But when you have multiple brains, multiple people, you know, with different backgrounds, different experiences, different ideas, then you have more ideas. You have more suggestions. Right? Now, tell the person sitting next to you one benefit of consultation. You have 15 seconds. Alright. What's the benefit of consultation? Yes. When you consult someone, they feel important. They feel important. They feel like, yeah, you know, they have acknowledged me, my knowledge or my experience or my position. They feel important. When they feel important, then they will support you. Right? They will remain sincere to you. They will work with you. But if we don't consult people, we don't give any importance to them, then they will feel left out and they will not care about the work. They will not care about it at all. Like we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he used to consult the companions so much. Abu Huraira, he narrated that I have not seen anyone who consults more with his companions than the Prophet ﷺ. And so much so that we learned that at the Battle of Uhud, before going, he consulted the companions. Should we defend or should we go out to fight? He didn't need to consult them, but he still did. Because they were supposed to listen to him anyways. But he still consulted them. At the battle of Badr even, the Prophet ﷺ consulted them. That should we go ahead with this? And the companions, they wholeheartedly supported him. Why? Because he consulted them. When you consult people about something, then it's beneficial for them too. Because they might get a good idea too. They might get insight into some work that they have to do. That people feel trusted. They feel welcomed. They feel involved. And this is something that's very important for teamwork. At the Battle of Uhud, there were many events that happened after. And the Prophet ﷺ continued to consult the companions, even those who disobeyed him, who made a mistake. Because they were human beings after all. So he still consulted them. Because they were important. Of the benefits are that the leader also has a chance to be humble. Because in our religion, remember, there's nothing such as a one-man show. Okay? When a group of people are doing something together, then every single member is important. So every single person must be consulted. And the leader has a chance to be humble. 
Because if you're always making decisions yourself, then it can really puff you up with pride and arrogance and lead you in the wrong direction. That shared responsibility. Shared work, shared responsibility. Then if something wrong happens, then the blame doesn't just fall on one people, but everyone feels responsible for it. Then everyone takes a part in correcting the situation. But if someone has not consulted, then what do other people say? Your decision, you deal with it. Your problem. I told you so. I told you so. I remember that when we were growing up, my mother, she would consult us even with regards to how we should arrange the furniture in our room or in the house. Right? And I felt that this developed like a sense of responsibility, like a sense of ownership. Okay? Like I cared about the stuff. I cared about how the things were. I was more willing of accepting them. And if the mother says, no, this is how we're going to put the furniture, I don't care if you're yelling and screaming. If you yell and scream, I'm going to put you out the door. This is how it is, and this is how it is. Too bad. Then people cannot accept. People will accept when you consult them. You know, this is why they say that one of the best ways of convincing your children of doing something is, like for example, you want to take them for a bath, and you know that they're going to throw a tantrum. That you ask them, should we use the purple soap or the pink soap? Which soap, which shampoo should we use in the bathtub? Do you want to do tub time or do you want to take a quick shower? And then the child gets to make a decision. He's involved in the decision-making process. So, automatically he goes into that. Otherwise, if you say, come on, shower, tub time, quickly, quickly, hurry up, hurry up. They're not going to listen. Even in larger firms, the management is the one that decides everything, but still the employees are consulted because you want them to feel involved. You want them to take ownership of the work. So it really brings positive feelings in people. It leads to unity. Then we also learn this eye that when a matter that we have to decide, then we should decide and move on. We should not just get stuck in the consultation process only. Because sometimes what happens, we spend so long in just consulting that we forget to do what we have to do. Or we're so tired by the time we decide that you know we've lost all our passion by them and we don't want to do it. So make a decision and move on. And when can a person be like this? That فَإِذَا عَزَمْتَ فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ That when a person trusts Allah and not themselves. Many times we are unable to make decisions quickly because we want perfection. And we are trusting ourselves. We don't want anything to go wrong ever. Like for example, if we want, let's say, a particular color on the wall, then we want that color should be good for the next 15-20 years. Okay? And we want that we should never ever get bored of it. And we want that we should always like it. Okay? And this is why we get this sample and that sample and we consult this person and that person. We look on this website and that website, that magazine and the other magazine. We keep researching, keep researching and we cannot decide and we get so upset that you know, we're unhappy that no matter what color of paint you put on the wall, eventually a time will come when you will get tired of it. And even if you don't get tired of it, it will have to be replaced. No matter what piece of furniture you get, it will have to be replaced ultimately. No matter what appliance you get, it will fail on you someday. Even if it is a very expensive one, the best one, the top of the line one, even then it will fail someday. You know why? 
because it's something of the dunya. So don't trust that appliance. Trust Allah. And when we trust Allah, then things become easier and manageable for us. So فَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ This is why Allah says, وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ Whoever trusts Allah, then Allah is sufficient for him. Allah is enough for him. So, whenever you have to make a decision, make it the best of your experience and knowledge, but then trust on him. That, oh Allah, I've done my best, you make it easy for me. Because there are too many choices. Aren't there? There are way too many choices out there. Especially these days. You want this shade or that shade. You know, sometimes if you go and look into the kind of shades and the colors and the choices you have, honestly, you'll go crazy. There are some renovations that we had to do and I'm like, Ya Allah, please keep me away from this. You know, I don't want to spend my time and my energy and my heart into this that I'm disappointed that the tile does not look the way I want it to. Or it's not the same shade or texture or whatever that I want it to be. You know, this dunya can never satisfy you. So trust on Allah. And when you trust in Allah, then you're able to accept it. And trusting Allah means that, you know, you believe that Allah will take care of the matter for you. That whatever will happen is good for you, is best for you. So then, it's easy to accept. A poet once says, إِذَا كُنْتَ ذَا رَأْيٍ فَكُنْ ذَا عَزِيمَةٍ كَانَ فَسَادُ الرَّأْيِ أَن تَتَرَدَّدَ that Someone who's supposed to have an opinion, then be someone of determination. Meaning if you have to make a decision, then be someone who is determined. For indeed the corruption is that you are indecisive. Because once you're indecisive, then you lose courage, you lose confidence, you lose passion, you get derailed, and you lose focus. You really lose focus. So once you've decided to do something, then focus on that and trust on Allah. The Prophet ﷺ visited a companion so that he could go to his house and pray salah over there because his house was going to be turned into a musalla, meaning people were going to come and pray in jamaah over there. So when the Prophet ﷺ got there, their companion said, Oh Prophet, I have prepared some food for you. But he said, where would you like us to pray? He didn't say, okay, let's eat. And then let's sit and enjoy. And then, oh, it's too late to pray, so we'll just go and pray in the masjid. So focus. Focus on what you have to do. Don't get derailed by too many choices and too many opinions and too many suggestions. Focus on the work. And that you can only do when you trust on Allah. When you're begging Allah for help. You don't trust yourself on the circumstances, but you trust on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And one of the things that can really help us be decisive and stay firm on what we have to do is Umar anhu, he said, مَنْ بُورِكَ لَهُ فِي شَيْءٍ فَلْيُلْزِمْهُ That whoever is blessed in doing something, then he should adhere to it. Meaning that if you're doing something, and you see the blessing in it. Okay? You see the blessing in it, that it is easier for you to do that. You are understanding it. It is beneficial for you. Then keep doing it. Like for example, if every weekend you're thinking, should I do this course or should I not? Should I continue with this course or should I not? If every weekend you are thinking in decision, then you won't be able to do your work. You won't be able to do your assignments. You won't be able to keep your attendance. You won't be able to do it. But if you see that, okay, I'm coming, I'm able to understand the lessons, I'm actually able to do the lesson, and it's only twice a week, it's something that's manageable for me, I am still able to do the groceries and the cleaning at home when I get back, it's not that stressful, then you see the blessing in it, adhere to it, stay focused on it. But if you say, no, I think I should leave this and start the other course, and maybe I should just drop the idea and try again next year, 
then you won't be able to do anything. Once you've made a decision and you see that it is possible for you to do it, then what should you do? Just do it. Then just do it.